So it's New Year's Eve. And once again, as we've talked about throughout this time together today, we probably have a lot of things weighing on our minds. A lot of excitement. A lot of uncertainties. As we have saw with the previous years, we never know where we're going to get. And know that it's not meant to be a Forrest Gump theology. But we are left with a sense of wonder. This is what happened in this year. This was happened in the previous years. These are my ups and downs. These are my attempts. These are my victories. These are my defeats. And we start looking at the new year and we think, what needs to be shaped? What needs to be transformed? What needs to gain a priority? Now, it's very funny that we would do this, right? I mean, it's just a click of the clock and a turn of the calendar. There's really nothing significant about December 31st and January 1st, really. But sometime at this point of the year, when we think about how that number changes from a 7 to an 8, and then when we get to next year in an 8 to a 9, however, the long, however long the Lord would give us, it's, it's interesting that we do this. We put ourselves through this and we begin asking questions about what really matters, what do I need to take care of, what do I need to let go of, what do I need to deal with, and what do I need to do, and who do I need to trust, and how, do I, how does that even happen, what does that even look like. Like I said, it's funny that we look at it by the calendar that way, but that should make sense to us in, in a biblical sense, and because even God gave his people, the people of Israel, a calendar to live by. It was based on the lunar activity every 28 days, and their new year began actually at Passover. That was the first day of the year, a first day to be reminded of God's immense grace and deliverance. And, and I think that's a point of reference for a start. Even though our new year doesn't start with Passover, it's a point of reference to begin that everything that has ever happened in my life, God has yet shown his grace, His might, His deliverance, and that sets the tone for everything to let us be defined by a God who is, who will always be, and who is a God that loves. And not just loves vaguely in general, loves specifically, loves intensely. And that shapes us. That shapes how we begin to sort and filter through what really matters. If we get a clue that this, this is how much God loves me, this is how much God has been with me, this is what God does to rescue and deliver. People get hung up on all kinds of questions, though, about what really matters. If we're honest, we get fixated about things. We have our preferences, we have our personalities, we have our backgrounds and histories. And certain things seem to matter more to other people than they do to some people. You ever got caught up about that? You just wonder, like, why does that matter so much to them? And even in church, even in church it happens. I, I know people, and I, I have an interest in it. I, I have a desire to know more about it. But it's not the thing that captivates my mind all the time. I know people that they could spend their entire life studying the book of Revelation and want to know every single detail about it because that just matters so much to them. And sometimes I'm like, it does matter, because one day, glory to God, He is going to break a reconciliation to all things. But here's where you're going to miss the point. If you stay so fixated there, if it shapes your methodology, it shapes your mission to where you're not out there sharing Jesus to be prepared for that day, 
then all you're doing is building your head knowledge, but your heart and your life and your strength are being wasted that God has graciously gifted you. There are other things that people get hung up on. You can go to a bookstore, even a Christian bookstore at times, and see the specific topics. And, and, I, and granted, they need to be addressed. They need to be talked about. But sometimes we get so focused that we miss out on the great, great issue of God's declaration to us. And that is of love. I'm going to ask you to turn today to the book of Mark. I love the book of Mark. We're going to talk a little bit more about it. But Mark chapter 12. And we're going to see where people were getting hung up on a particular conversation. It's an interesting one. Because people were trying to trap Jesus. They were trying to ask Him questions to trip Him up, to trick Him, and to get people to look at Him and say, see, He doesn't get it. He's only, he's only about this one thing. And they asked Him questions about um, what should we do as far as taxes. And Jesus is pretty much like, pay them. You know, because the money, it's got Caesar's imprint on it. Anyways, just give it to them. It's, it's a part of it. Yield to Caesar. Well, things that are Caesar's, things to God that are God's. And then they began asking questions about, well, what about family matters? What about the issues? There's this, let's just put this hypothetical out there. That there's this man who has seven brothers, and he's the oldest, and he marries a woman. And according to our customs, he dies before they have, she has a child, and to keep his namesake going, the next brother has to marry her and then have a child, but he doesn't have a child. And so the next brother, next brother, next brother, and all the way to the seventh, and then she has no kids, marries all eight, and then she dies. To which I go, oh, mercy, Jesus, what an incredible out there situation. And they ask, whose wife is it? He says, well, you're getting mixed up on what the resurrection is all about to begin with. But here's the point that you need to get across your head. There is a resurrection. There is an eternal life. There is something greater. And what you need to know about that is because God has demonstrated his love. One of the scribes thought he was a little bit, uh, he was really good on that. And so he just, just said, well, okay, Jesus, just, just tell us what's this all about then. What is the greatest, the greatest and most important of all. So stand with me as we read and look at this question. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. It says, One of the scribes approached when he heard them debating the, all the other people that had been asking Jesus questions and saw that Jesus answered them well. He asked, Which command is the most important of all? Jesus answered the most important. Listen, O Israel. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Lord Jesus, today, I ask you to help us to really understand what this means. Don't let it just pass our fancy as a Bible verse we have memorized. But let us be reminded that today we have a divine appointment and an opening of your word. You have something to say to us. So I pray that you would speak. You would teach us all. You would hide me behind the shadow of your cross and that your spirit would be the one leading us all. For we need to follow after you, the one who loves us so greatly. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So let's look at this book we're in. Let's let's look and, and really get in deep to where we're at because... Sometimes we'll just read something and be like, uh-huh, yeah, I memorized that when I was in vacation Bible school or this year back in a long time ago. 
And I prefer that you should have read that in the King James Version instead of the version you read in. We, we get all hung up on different things, but we could do that and miss the point and miss out on what really matters. So here, Jesus has been asked a question, and John Mark, who is the writer of, we believe is the writer of the book of, of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, that's why it's given the name Mark, um, it's an eyewitness account as he's recording the words of Peter. He's recording his life, his encounter with Peter. Now, John Mark was an eyewitness of Jesus, but he wasn't around Jesus all the time like Peter was. It's thought that John Mark was the uh, one of the people of the family of the house where the, the disciples had that last Passover meal. And he, that he was one of the people witnessing what was going on in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was also one of the people that was traveling with Paul and Barnabas on some of the original travels and a person of incredible interest in the New Testament. Even Paul himself at the end of his life was like, hey, send for John Mark. I need, there's something that we need to talk about. There's some things we need to deal with. And uh, just an incredible person that just pops up here and there. He's not prolific everywhere, just pops up here and there and shows that God has the role for even someone that may not have the biggest name on the limelight, but still is important for God's usage. And here he writes in this gospel, he writes to a primarily Roman Gentile audience. He's writing somewhere between 63 and 68 AD when there was a new tribulation, a new persecution going on. Uh, Peter would become imprisoned and, and later on be crucified. But he's recording his words and you see he's probably writing to a Roman and Gentile audience because he explains a lot of Jewish customs that go on in the book. He, he translates a lot of Aramaic words he, and phrases into Greek. He uses Latin sometimes instead of Greek. And he doesn't often quote the Old Testament like Matthew and Luke does. It doesn't mean that his gospel is wrong. It just means it was written to a different audience. And it's written to the purpose of this. The very beginning line of the Gospel of Mark is, this is the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. His whole point is he wanted to share that Jesus was divine. And the major emphasis was his gospel, his good news that would call people to repentance and restore their, their relationship with God based on that faith in Jesus. And so here, he records an encounter between the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Herodians and all these people that were gathered to hear what Jesus had to say. And this scribe, this one whose job was to copy down the Old Testament, writing it after, after. Uh, sometimes scribes were just given a certain portion of the scroll that they were in charge of so that they would be so used to the repetition that they wouldn't miss out on the words. And hearing all this debate and seeing how Jesus answered them well, he asked them, says, what does the Scripture reveal as the greatest calling commandment? And I think that's an important question, especially as we look at the new year. We start thinking, what really matters in my life? What do I need to let go of? What do I need to take care of? What do I need to focus in on? And here, an overarching thing that just spans beyond New Year's, if we can just be honest, but is so intricate to our life, so necessary, we can see what really matters. Jesus, hearing this scribe ask this question, he says, this, listen, listen, O Israel, listen, O people of God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. What really matters? The first thing we need to understand, the, the important thing that matters is the, the importance of listening. 
The importance of listening. Sometimes, I will be honest, I'm so distracted by the noise over here and the noise over there and, and all the things that I want to pay attention to and the things that I don't want to pay attention to. I know that some people call that selective hearing. But the important thing is the act of listening. And what we need to know biblically when it comes to the things of God, listening is an act of faith. Listening to God is an act of faith. It's saying, God, I recognize you're someone important that I need to hear from. That I don't need to just have a little bit of, of noise from you. I don't need to have a neat, neat little sweet melody every so often. I need to hear from you. It's an act of faith. It says, I believe you have something that needs to be said. And that I need to hear. The importance of listening is, is an act of following. It's not only letting it go in one ear and out the other. You know, you ever heard someone use that terminology? Just went in one ear and out the other. It's where someone may have heard what you said, but there's no follow through. See, the act of listening to God is not being like, uh-huh, whoop, whoop. That's not what it's about. It's about, in, it's about infecting and affecting every part of our life to where it affects our follow through. It affects what our mind thinks about and what our heart feels and what our soul affirms and, and what our feet go. The importance of listening moves us. Now, I'll be honest. Sometimes the way and the method and the mode that declaration is made comes in different ways. I have noticed, and this is not meant to shame them, because I have been through the same thing. Sometimes when the voice gets raised a little bit, our attention is a little more perked up. My kids know what that's like. I know what that's like. You probably know what that's like. Sometimes even in church that happens. Preacher's talking loud. Must be important. Better wake up. But the mode is to be a hearer, but also to be a doer. To listen. Sometimes God will give us the still, small voice, and sometimes He'll blast it into our brain like a trumpet and be like, I'm trying to get your attention. Don't you see that I love you? And I've got something that you need in your life. Which shows us not only that it, you know, listening is an act of faith and an act of following, it's an act under fatherhood, under God's fatherhood, realizing that the person who is telling us something is someone we need to trust as an act of faith, is someone we need to follow as an act of obedience, but it's someone who loves us and allows us to call Him Abba, Father, this adopted Lord who brings us into a relationship with Him, who says, you are my child, I am your God, but I'm also I'm your daddy. And I love you like no one else can. But what does it require for us to listen? If we're going to really, really focus in, because we have a world of distractions, we have a world of things that grab for our attention and want us to be zoomed in and zoned out to what they have, what's it going to take? Well, if we're going to move beyond selective hearing or just bypass hearing, where we might hear a few things here and there just because we happen to be in the right place at the right time. 
If we're going to move past those to intentional hearing, to intentional listening, then there's got to be a few additives in our life that's got to be shaped. What really matters are these practices that you are taught from the time that you are a child to the through adulthood. And sometimes we just think, oh, those are just churchy things we're supposed to do. No, they help refine us. They help make this listening intentional. There needs to be our supplication, our prayer, to where we're just ready to cast all our cares before the Lord, but to realize that the moment we finish saying, this is all I need, is not the moment just to say amen and walk away. That's the moment to say, all right, now that I've shared God, I recognize you're God, so you got a lot bigger plans than I do. Let me listen. Let me hear as a child of God. Some people say, well, I pray God, pray to God and, and I'm waiting for His answer, but I, I just never hear His voice. I just don't know what His will is. I just don't know what His way is. I, I just don't know what direction. If He would just print it out and give it to me, I could follow it. i got good news for you. He did. He did. He preserved His words, His voice. For us. If you're struggling and hearing what is the direct will of God, there's this leather bound or paper bound or hardback bound or electric printed out version that says, this is my word to you. Will you listen? Whenever you, the Bible tells us that it is indeed the God-breathed, inspired word of God that is useful for teaching, for correcting, for rebuking, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. This is what it is. And if we're going to have the importance of listening in our life intentional, then it can't be selective. It can't be, it's got to be focused in supplication and prayer, saying, God, I am not closing off this communication with you, and I'm also not closing off this communication that you gave to me. It's going to require submission and discipleship. Not only study of Scripture, not only supplication, but submission and discipleship. Because here's the thing. Whenever we read God's Word, which is His commands towards us, and when we hear God speaking and affirming those same commands in our prayer life, and yet we don't do it, and then we wonder why we're faced with difficulty... I'm going to give you just this response. Well, duh. That's the biggest... That's, I mean, if someone came to you and said, well, I know God is speaking. He said this. And His words affirm this. Or I've been reading this and my prayers have affirmed that because God will never lie and tell us to do something that's not according to His Word. And yet we're not willing to do it. And then we wonder why we're faced with such struggle, with such difficulty, why things are not going according to the will of God. Well, duh. It's because you didn't submit. You didn't listen. I heard a preacher say this a while ago, and I was like, ooh, ouch, that'll preach. That hurts. Not just because I'm a preacher. Although I guess preachers, we do get in that that formation of thinking, you know, that'll preach, that's good. But he said he, he wonders why people are so dumbfounded and befuddled by the fact that they cannot face the difficult parts of life when they're not obedient to the simple parts of God's will. He said, case in point, one of the easiest, easiest, easiest things to do 
to, as a follower of Christ, following the commands of God in our culture, is to week in, week out, just show up to be among people of God and to learn together. And yet so many people in our culture are not even simply obedient to that little thing. And so when it comes to the harder commands of God, when they can't obey the simple, they wonder why it's so hard to do the other things. Because they haven't learned to trust God in the simple things. There's got to be submission. And there's got to be support. There's got to be community. Here's the thing. God did not create you and I to be alone. The first man couldn't do it. We certainly can't. And he lived in perfection. He lived in a perfect, unfallen world. You know what? There was no suitable help available for him. That's where God created that first marriage. But from on then, it developed into family. From on then, it developed into communities. From then on, it developed into cities and civilizations. Why? Because mankind was not meant to live life alone. And if you, child of God, brothers and sisters of Christ, are trying to struggle through life without that support, I'm telling you, you're missing the direction of God's purpose and plan for you. And you may be missing out on listening to His will for you. There's not only the importance of listening, but Jesus went further in declaring what was called the Hebrew Shema. Something that devout believers would quote day in and day out as a reminder. Yes, it was a good way of remembering the Scripture like we do memory verses. But it was important to focus that all of the law All the prophets are summed up in this. This is what Jesus said in the book of Matthew about this this phrase. It comes from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, not only do you need to know the importance of listening, just as the command is to listen, O Israel, that the Lord our God is one. You need to see the importance of loving. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. See, loving is not meant to be some just bypass word that we use just to make us feel good, just to give us the warm feelies. It's not just something meant to be used as, hey, love you, brother, that kind of thing, and that meant to be the, the sole duty of our responsibility and community. Love is meant to affect us. Love is meant to connect us. It's meant to do something in our life that is so unique from any other activity in our life. And Jesus, He says that this love that we have for God, well, it's to have root and take part and overflow from various aspects of our being. That is to show us that love comes from, one, the heart's affection. That there's this emotional center created in us for a reason. Now, we're not to get this off kilter because we'll see it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That we're not supposed to abuse and, and, and fill up one and gorge it on itself to the withdrawal of others. There are people that will get so caught up in emotion that they miss out on these other aspects of loving the Lord. But we're also not to neglect it and pretend like that's not a real activity. Here's a good question that's been asked of me before. And I'll ask it of you. When's the last time you cried over the things of God? That you're so broken for His will 
and maybe even so broken for seeing the neglect of it in other people's lives that it, it caused you to emote. Now, crying is not the only emotion. When's the time you laughed and just were caught up in the joy of God? Where is your heart's affection when it comes to loving God? Is it a sense of rejoicing, a sense of mourning? Is it a sense of longing and desire? The importance of loving God should have an effect from your heart. When's the last time that you had holy rage? Because of disobedience to the Lord. In your life. Or in the life of someone close that was a brother or sister in Christ. I don't mean to take a holy rage on someone that doesn't know the Lord. We have no room to do that. The importance of loving God. To seek after Him with a heart's affection. To have a soul's affirmation. I was trying to figure out the the right way to display this. And and the best picture I can say is that of whenever you see a couple get married, they're pledging love and loyalty to show the affections of their heart, but also to remain loyal and connected and say, I will not depart from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. That's the soul's affirmation after God. Where, Where have you been with the Lord recently that said, God, wherever you go, and if it takes me to Timbuktu, I know it's a good thing because I'm with you. I have that kind of loyalty. I affirm that your will, your way is so good that I would never want to depart from it. I affirm that in my life. I affirm that if you've told me to live out this command, to, to, to do and be a part of this mission, that I am willing to be a part of it. I affirm your way, your lead is good. What about the mind's attention? That not only are we to love God with our emotions and love Him with our loyalty and connection, that affirmation that His way is the best, but also to have our mind and our attention shaped by Him. I'm going to be careful here. Because I dwelled here for a long time. If your mind and your intellect and your love for God is not shaped by His Word, by growing in it daily, you are starving your love for God. And here's where I dwelled for a long time. My theology depended on the type of song and when that song was played. For a long time. And I had no knowledge of the Word of God other than a few verses I'd memorized. And I know people get a little wishy-washy about that. They think, well, I don't want to become some intellectual egghead for God. I don't want to become some guy that's all about his noodle. Isn't it just good to know that I love God and He loves me? Well, yeah, that's good to know. But if you tried that strategy in your marriage, it ain't going to last long. If all you say, well, I don't know my wife's eye color, her favorite food, where she likes to go, what she likes to do on vacation, how she likes to spend. I don't know anything about a conversation with her. I don't know anything about her parents' history or anything like that. But I know she loves me. That's good enough. We're going to have a counseling session later on me. I'm just going to let you know. Because you've got to spend time to know her. And for the longest time, my life and my mind's shape of my love for God was shaped on the type of song. It had to be a certain preference. 
And my theology was about as extent as the, what was sung in the song, and that's as far as it went. I didn't know anything beyond that. Not that it's bad to have theology shape songs, but if that's the limit. And I'm thankful Stephen, he chooses songs that help us have a pattern that says this is where we're going towards things, but it doesn't stop there. But if your attention to God is dependent on the type of song, the preference, the style, what type of beat it has, and your day is shaped by whether the K-Love playlist fits to your model, you've got some growing to do in your mind's attention with God and His Word. Because we were never meant to be limited in that place. We're going to know the full admonition of His Word. Lastly, the importance of loving with our strengths, actions. And all this heart emotion, all this soul affirmation and, and mind's attention needs to be played out by the actions of our strength that God has given us. Strength. And you may say, well, I don't have as much strength as I used to, but you still have strength to do something. Or else you wouldn't be here today. You had strength to get in the car to go somewhere. You had strength to pick up a phone call. You had strength to type out an email. You had strength to do something. God has still placed strength in you to accomplish something that shows that you love Him and you acknowledge even greater His love for you. And if your love for Him is not leading to action in your life, I would ask you to examine today, God, do I only love you when it's convenient? God, do I only love you when it doesn't cost me anything? God, do I only love you when it doesn't hurt me? We've got to see the importance of loving and the actual activity that takes place. The, this, there's, Jesus didn't put this in just to sound poetic. He put it in there to make a point. That love requires everything. And it shapes all. Third importance I see here is the importance of leveraging our lives for love. That not only would we love God, but that it would transform us to leverage our lives for love. When Jesus says the second is love your neighbor as yourself, He didn't allow the limitation of the scribe's question just to be only loving God. He says these are complementary. These are not. These are non-negotiable. You cannot separate the two. They are one in the same. If you only love your neighbor as yourself, yet neglect the Lord, you're only loving them from a temporary and earthly life setting. If you only love the Lord and yet do not love your neighbor, what you're saying is God is off limits in everything else of my world. And we need to see the importance of leveraging our lives for love, that we would love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Aren't you glad someone told you the gospel? Maybe many people told you the gospel. Aren't you glad someone invested time in you to invite you to somewhere where you could hear about Jesus' name? Maybe it was a vacation Bible school as a child. Aren't you glad that someone maybe took the time in your home to tell you about the Bible? Man, I sure am. I'm glad somebody loved me enough to do that. Because I don't know where I would have heard it if I hadn't had someone intentionally taking the time to do it. But they leveraged their life. They leveraged their moment. They leveraged their time to say, I love you enough to tell you about the greatest love of all. I love you enough to bring this reality to you. They leveraged their life in that moment. Say, when we gave that offering, this 
last year, the emphasis over our International Mission Board has been limitless missionaries. We have over 3,800, almost 4,000 missionaries on the field right now, uh, an, an all-time high. We had a little hiccup a while back with the finances for our International Mission Board. But what I think about is people leveraging their life and saying, you know what, it would be comfortable for me to maintain my, my connection here in my hometown. It would be comfortable for me to maintain my, my relationships with my family and my security. But I sense a calling of the Lord that I cannot deny. That just as Abraham was called to leave his community, his identity, his security, and go to a place that he didn't even know where he was going, God has placed such a call in my life. And I am anxious by trying to hold that back by stifling it. And they leverage their life to go and serve. I wonder what God would do among this place here today. Not that I want anybody to find a back door. But I believe that as we grow as a church, our sending capacity is going to be far more important than our seating capacity. And perhaps even now, God is impressing on your heart that your life is meant to be leveraged in some way. Maybe within the context of this community. Maybe within the context of your work. I would actually take away the maybe. I believe that God puts us exactly where He wants us. Where He needs us. And we're to follow His lead. And not try to stifle that. But how will you leverage your life for love today? Here's some questions I want you to consider. What will you do in the coming year to belong? Each year we have this kind of speaking to, if you will, reminder about what we're about as a church. We tell people we're a church that's meant to help people belong, believe, and become. And I'll ask you where yours your part on it. What will you do this year to belong, to grow more in community? What will you do more to connect with others around you? How will you grow in knowing each other's names and, more importantly, lives? And what will you do in the coming year to help others belong? Because if we leave it only to ourselves and how it affects us, then we're missing the point. We're to leverage our lives for loving and loving our neighbors as ourselves. What will we do in the coming year to help others belong? I want you to consider that. As you're thinking about what really matters and, and loving your neighbors yourself, how will I belong and how will I help others belong? What will you do in the coming year to believe and to help others believe? What will you do in the coming year to come to an understanding, to have your mind shaped to say, this is the God who loves me so I can trust Him and know Him. And how will I help others believe? What is my part in that? To help others come to a place of faith. What will we do in the coming year to become more of the disciple that God intended us to be? In our homes. Being first and foremost missionaries to those that God biologically and adoptively gave in our homes. How will we help others become that which Christ wants them to become in our workplace? You may look around and you say, well, I don't have a lot of Christians where I'm at. Well, if you help some others believe, then maybe you can help them become. But what will God do to help you grow people in that manner? And then what will you do in the coming year to be sent? I know it's not a part of our motto, belong, believe, become, but 
I think this is the part where we really have to question, God, where are you placing my feet? Which direction are you leading them? Once again, this could be across the hallway, across the street, or even across the world. And if God is sending you, we want to help you to be that person. We want to grow you in that manner. Because what we recognize of what really matters is that there is a God. And we need to hear His voice. We need to see His great, imminent love. We need to love in return. And let that love leverage us to be His children that are carrying His name, that are worshiping Him, and also making an impact on the neighbors around them. And we do this all because God has first demonstrated His love for us. Here's the great thing. It took a hard while for me to come to terms with it. You know that verse in 1 John which says, We love because He first loved us. That's a little hard to swallow, isn't it? What do you mean? I love because He first loved us. Well, that's the truth. It love, he, we love because God first chose to speak to us. He could have created it all and said, alright, you just populate the earth and I'm just going to sit back here and do nothing. That's what deists believe. I'm going to have no impact in, in human history. We love because God not only spoke, but because God acted. And we love not only because God, no, God loved us first because He spoke and because He acted, but because God demonstrated his love for us. Now, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, if you need a reminder that God loves you first, you need to go back to the Gospel. The God who is holy, who created you, who loves you, He saw our sins. He saw the very offense of them. We can, we can try to sweeten them up, shirtcoat them however we want, but they're an offense to a holy God who is completely sinless. No matter what we try to do, however many offerings we give, however many worship services we attend, how many ways we clean up and how many suits we have, or how many charities we serve in, nothing we could ever do could ever bring us to that holy standard. Nothing. But God bridged the gap for us by coming to us. And He said, I'm demonstrating my love to you. We love God because He first loved us and He demonstrated it fully on the cross. When He paid our substitute, He came, became our pardon. And He showed us that He is God by not letting death overcome Him, by not letting sin keep Him. Yes, He died because that was the payment, but He overcame it and He rose again. And based on that gift, He has presented us with a personal responsibility to respond to what we do with Jesus. What will you do with someone that loves you that much? Will you listen to them? Will you love them enough to say, here's my life, I'm giving it to you. I can't save it. I can't do anything with it of eternal merit. I'm giving it to you. And because I give my life to you, you said I give you eternity back to us. And you transform the life we live here and now. God indeed loves us. But are we listening to the loving God? Are we loving the loving God? And is that leveraging our life to be different? Let's ask yourself what really matters. You're already making the list. This year, do you mean it? I know I wanted to mean it. I know I'm working on a lot of things. Will you join me in that journey? Let's pray. Lord God, today I thank you for just incredible grace, incredible love. I thank you for the power of your word that tells us so 
much about you. And sometimes it's just so overwhelming who you are and, and what you have told us and what you do. And, but all of it is an echo of your great love. Your great might. So God, teach us what it is to know You. Help us hear from You. Help us recognize that love when it's declared to us. And help us respond back with love towards You. Not a silly, subtle, bypassed kind of love, but something deep, something real that causes emotion, that causes loyalty, that causes intellect and causes action. And God, may it make a difference not only in us, but through us to those around us. Jesus, do what only You can do in this time. It's Your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed. This time at the end of our worship gathering, we call this our invitation. It's a time for responding. You know, when someone gives you a gift, it gives you the ability to respond. And sometimes if we got a crummy gift, you might have that, the response of trying to put on a good smile and a good face and that kind of thing. When we have a great gift, it's hard to stifle back and hold back that response. And what we see is God has given us the perfect gift of peace with Him. Of the perfect gift of His love. And week after week, we've been asking this question. Not just so I can count hands and count heads and that kind of thing. That's not why we do it. But it's a weekly, physical reminder God, that were it not for God's gift of grace, I would have not known what love is. I would not have known what peace is. So then I'm going to ask that question I ask each week. Today, if you're in this room and you recognize and you know that you have the gift of God's peace, because of what God has done for you in your life. Would you raise your hand as a way of celebrating and as a way of just praising Him for His might and His love? Amen. As I said, it's a time of response where we raise our hands and we say this is who we are, thankfully, by the peace and the grace of God. You put your hands down. But it's also a way of evaluation. Because there are sometimes when we have a room of this size that there may be people that do not yet recognize the peace of God. They don't recognize what it means to have that gift. To know that love. And if that's you, you're in this room today, we want to pray for you. And it's not a pity prayer. It's not a guilty prayer. It's, it's a prayer for God's grace just to be mightily shown to you. So if you're in this room today and you say, Pastor, you asked that question a minute ago, who has peace with God? And I, I couldn't raise my hand. I lack it. But I want it. I see that I need it. If that's you today, I, just, like I said, we just want to pray for you. No one's looking around. I'm just the only one up here. If you would like someone to pray for you, I, I, if you'll just raise your hand, I, I just want you to know I will pray for you that God's peace and grace would be given. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I know there are plenty, plenty that did not raise their hand for either question. So it tells me some people may be mulling it over, thinking about where they are with life. That's okay. It's a good place to be, to have that 
moment of contemplating and, and examination and asking God to speak to us. But today, if you're in this room and you recognize that you need peace with God, you need the gift of His love, I can tell you how you can get it. The first is admitting you need it. It's admitting you need God's peace, God's love, God's rescue. That we wouldn't be so foolish to say, well, yeah, I feel like I'm drowning. I feel like I'm lost, but I, I, I'm not going to cry for help. My pride's too big. That would be foolish. That would be silly. If we knew our child was out in the woods, we'd want them to call out for help. And that's what God is wanting us to do. To admit our need for Him. Our need for a Savior. Because we're a sinner. And we're broken and lost. The second is believing that Jesus is God's gift. God's provision for grace. That He's the only one that could ever be our substitute because He was the only one that was sinless. And He's the only one willing to, to go to the cross for us. Think about that. God Himself says, I'm willing to go to the cross for you. And we have to believe that He is that gift. He is the one who came for us. That He is who He says He is. He is the King, the Messiah, the Lord. He is God with us. And that He really died and He really rose again. See, that's the act of faith. But then there's the last part. And that's confession. That's the place where we make that decision. Where we say, God, I admit I'm a sinner. I believe who You are. And now I confess I need Your salvation. I confess I need Your forgiveness. And I confess I need You as my Lord and Savior. It's that part where we yield what we have and we say, God, I receive Your gift and I give You my life because you can, you can restore it. You can give me eternity. You can save. If you've never done that today and you feel like the, the Lord is impressing on your heart the need to make that decision to know His love, you can pray a prayer like this. God, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior today. I believe that You are who You say You are, Jesus. You are Lord, Messiah, God with us. And that You died and rose again to save us from our sin. So I confess I need Your salvation. I confess I need Your forgiveness for my sins. And I confess that I give this life over to You as Lord and Savior. Help me follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, while every head is bowed, every eye is closed, we're going to ask one more question. If that was you today, if you recognized you needed the peace of God and had not yet trusted in Jesus, and today you took that step of faith and admitted your need for a Savior, believed in Christ, and confessed Him as your Lord and Savior, if that was you today, while every head is bowed, every eye is closed, I'm going to ask you, if that was you, would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God would strengthen you and encourage you. And I want to help you take your next steps with Christ as a disciple, as my brother or sister in Christ. If that was you, we're also going to have a time here as the music plays where if you need someone to pray with you, someone to encourage you, I'm going to be here at the front to help you take those next steps. Or maybe you're a Christian brother or sister in this room who says, Pastor, I need someone to pray with me. I'm here for you. Maybe you're saying, Pastor, I, I, I recognize there's things I need to do as a disciple. Maybe you need to be baptized. 
scripturally. Maybe you need to join and unite with a church biblically. You need help making that decision. Maybe God is calling you to some mission or mission field. You need to know what steps to take. I'm going to be here at the front. I just ask you to follow as the Lord leads. And if that's coming and talking to me, I'm going to be down here to share with you. Take these moments to respond in how God leads. You guys know that I've been here familiar times. I'm not one to belabor this time at the end. I feel like if someone has someone that needs to talk, has something they need to talk to someone about, the Lord will lead them to do that. But also I'm not one that closes off the invitation as you can only talk to me during that spiritual moment during the worship gathering. And should God lead you to have questions or need to talk with someone, you can find me, you can find another friend.